Well, it's official. After the uh, passing of Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, it has been announced that uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom has chosen LaFonza Butler, the president of Emily's List, to fill her seat. Uh, She will be the third black woman to ever serve in the Senate, as well as the first openly LGBTQ person to represent California in the chamber. Well, we're joined right now by someone that similarly made history. He is one of only a handful of people in American history to serve in the U.S. Senate without being one of the in, a member of one of the two major parties. And he's one of only six living individuals to serve in the U.S. Senate, not being a Democrat or Republican. Very pleased uh, to welcome former U.S. Senator from Minnesota, attorney and uh, former aide to Governor Jesse Ventura, Senator Dean Barkley. Senator, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Well, thanks for having me, Frank. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Senator. Now, my hope was that uh, Gavin Newsom would use the opportunity to appoint sort of an elder statesman. Um, there was a lot of speculation, maybe like a Jerry Brown type, or if he wanted to appoint a woman of color, somebody like the Secretary of State or someone like that. Um, there was speculation that he didn't want to appoint one of the candidates that was already running because that would sort of give them a leg up in the primary next year. Do you have any reaction to Governor Newsom appointing LaFonza Butler to the U.S. Senate, Senator? Well, I think he's just fulfilling the promise he made uh, several months ago <clears> that <throat> he would, he would uh, replace Diane Feinstein with a, a black woman, and that's what he's done. So at least he's being honest uh, that uh, I'm sure he's had some time to uh, do his vetting to see who he really wants to be there, and I hope that she's a, a good choice. So uh, as someone who did this, meaning got appointed to fill uh, the remainder of a senator's term, in your case, you were appointed to fill the remainder of the term of Senator Paul Wellstone, obviously a little bit of a different situation because you only had a a couple of months, whereas she's going to be there for over a year. But as someone who did this, what unique challenges do you think she faces that other senators might not? Well, just to get to know the place. I mean, when when I was appointed, I had no party structure in, in place to help me out. So I was on my own. And if it wasn't for a, a governor of, a, of a Connecticut, Lowell Weicker, former governor, uh, reaching out and getting his old staff and putting me in place, I would have been dead on the water. So because of uh, Governor uh, Lowell Weicker, his help, uh, I, I kind of hit the ground running. So I just think it's getting your feet wet and understanding the playground that you're in and try to figure out what you can do in the time that you've got there to make a difference. As you mentioned, obviously, she's a Democrat. She's going to have uh, 51 other people that are willing to help her out and maybe show her the ropes. But if uh, she were to ask you for advice on being an appointed senator to take over for someone that's considered a legend, what would you tell her? What advice would you have for her? Oh, tread lightly, because uh, I was following uh, Senator Wellstone, and and he was beloved by a lot of Democrats, and I just had to tread very lightly, not to make sure that you did you do anything to offend uh, the person you're replacing. Uh, but the advice to her is just get to know your other people there and take their advice that have been there a while of how to how to how to manage. 
the the intense pressure she's going to get because you know the the uh, Senate's like lies there it's fifty Democrats, forty nine Republicans, and me. So depending <laughs> on what I did, I could control whether the Republicans because Cheney was the vice president. So if I'd caucus with the Republicans, they would have taken over the Senate. Or if I uh, caucus the Democrats, they would have stayed in power. So, uh, it, it, you know, she's not going to face that problem. That was my biggest problem mm-hmm. is is who to caucus with and who to put my uh, put my uh, potential influence with. Do you think that uh, now one of the things that I think happens whenever you make these announcements like Governor Newsom did or I'm going to appoint a person of color or I'm going to appoint a woman or I'm going to appoint a woman who's a person of color, I almost think it's unfair to whomever gets picked because a lot of folks then look at that person as if they were only picked because of their gender or their race. I mean, my contention is he would have been better off not making that public declaration and then going and and picking a black woman and saying he was picking the most qualified person. And this is the most qualified person. She just happens to be a black woman. Do you share that view, Senator? Oh, I, I think I think Newsom is looking at appeasing the, uh, the you know, it's called the left wing of the Democratic Party, which is obviously the LBTQ uh, credentials. Uh, obviously, on Emily's list, she's familiar with lobbying and money in politics because that's what uh, Emily's list does. So it was a very safe pick for him where he wasn't going to offend anyone in California. And quite frankly, he's no different than most other politicians that are looking at their next race and see not to offend any group or uh, any interest group is going to make his next step difficult. Do you think that this is being done on Newsom's part to help set up a a future run for president by sort of looking like he uh, is making inroads to the black community, for instance? Yes. I think there's no doubt that Newsom was looking at, uh, uh, you know, four years from now, we're getting into the next uh, brouhaha for trying to be president of the United States. I think he thinks his, his time has come, and uh, he's just waiting for this Biden-Trump thing to get over, uh, or he can um, step in. You have a lot of experience uh, supporting celebrity candidates. You were one of the, I think, the person that encouraged Jesse Ventura to run for governor in uh, 1998. You guys have been close political allies. They are already talking about Meghan Markle potentially running for this Senate seat next year. How do you think that would go over, Senator? And you also ran against Al Franken. I'll point that out as well. Yes. I had a lot of different people in my political past. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with using your celebrity to get there. I mean, there's, there's two ways of running for office in this country. Is having name recognition, which would be celebrity, or having a lot of money. I mean, those are the two paths, the quickest paths of getting political power in this country. So I'd rather have someone with a little notoriety than, than uh, someone with a lot of money. That's just my preference. 
Yeah, I think a, a lot of people may feel the same way. So do you think she would do well if she were to run in a, in a field dominated by other politicians like Adam Schiff and Katie Porter and uh, Barbara Lee? I think so. I mean, no one gave Jesse Ventura a chance when, when he first announced. Obviously, he was a pro, uh, professional wrestler uh, of all things. Most people kind of poo-pooed that. Uh, they just didn't realize what his ability of communicating and being honest and, and telling it like it is, and his ability to connect with ordinary people could do for him. And I think anybody can do that if they've got those skills. Those skills are hard to find, but uh, if they have them, anything's possible in this country. We're talking with Senator Dean Barkley. He served for a few months in the U.S. Senate about uh, 20 years ago. Senator, I know you were only in the uh, U.S. Senate for a short time, but so far, Mm -hmm. everything uh, that I've heard from Democrats and Republicans uh, alike about uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, about what she was like to work with, to be around, apparently she was just the epitome of a class act. Did you have occasion to interact with her at all? No, I don't think I ever met uh, uh, Senator Feinstein. Uh, I met uh, uh, Ted Kennedy. Uh, he had a few brandies up in his uh, Senate office. Uh, Bob Bird and I became pretty good friends. Uh, he's about the oldest serving senator ever. And uh, uh, But uh, Diane Feinstein, I never got a chance to uh, actually uh, talk to her. One of the criticisms that she's getting, even posthumously, is that she stayed in office too long, that she should have maybe not run for re-election the last time, or that uh, once her health started to fail, that she should have uh, resigned. Here is a, um, here's a, a quote from the chairman of the National Libertarian Party, for instance. This is what he, was what she said. Dianne Feinstein held on to her position as a California senator for 30 years, dying in office at the age of 90. Her refusal to retire signifies a political and cultural crisis in the United States. Older generations refuse to cede power and responsibility to younger generations, deepening generational hostilities and making younger generations feel more and more powerless. Older generations should be mentoring young leaders and hearing our concerns instead of holding on to power until their last breath. I've heard this maybe not stated so explicitly as Angela McArdle did there, but I've heard this from a lot of people, mostly Democrats, but even some Republicans and independents. Do you think that Dianne Feinstein stayed too long, Senator? Yes. I mean, I I witnessed the same thing. It wasn't Dianne, but it was Strom Thurmond who... In his last days, they, he has oxygen tanks and this whole nursing crew uh, weaving around the Senate. I mean, baby boomers have to realize that you know, we're getting old. It's time to give up power and give it to the next generation and give them a shot. And, yes, I think he stayed too long. I think uh, uh, probably when you, when you hit 80, and I'm, I'm getting close to that myself, you do start slowing down. You, you do. Your body starts changing. And uh, I think that uh, uh, the senator from uh, Utah, uh, Romney, did the right thing. He says, I'm getting too old. I'm getting in my 70s. I think it's time for a new generation uh, to take over the reins. And I think our our country would be much better off if uh, our older generation would just give up the ghost of being young and let the young people take over. I, I know term limits would be a solution to a lot of those folks as well. It would. 
<laughs> but they have to, but they, they have to agree to do that, and they're not going to give up their jobs once they get it. Once a senator becomes a senator, their whole most people their sole purpose is staying in the Senate, and they'll stay there as long as they can. And that's why we have ninety-year-olds dying in office, uh, and they should have, um, you know, resigned earlier. You know. They've got to realize they're not the only smart people in the world. There's other people that can take your job and be just as effective as you are, but you have to give them a chance. A lot of folks are, especially in light of uh, Senator Feinstein's passing, are saying that President Biden ought to hang him up. Uh, Even a lot of Democrats, Bill Maher, for instance, he returned on uh, television on Friday, and a big part of his monologue was saying that that, uh, Joe Biden should take a cue from both what happened to Senator Feinstein and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Here was Bill Maher on Friday. Someone has to convince President Biden that if he runs again, He's going to turn the country back over to Trump and go <laughs> and go down in history as Ruth Bader Biden. The person who doesn't know when to quit and so does great damage to their party and their country. What do you think, Senator? You think Joe Biden should step aside? Well, I've never been less enthusiastic about an upcoming presidential election with the thought of having to choose between Biden and Trump. And I don't think I'm alone. I I represent probably like 60 percent of the electorate that do not like that choice. That's why all this third party, uh, the, the no name party, the no label party. I just hope that there's somebody uh, that is viable that is going to get the guts. Maybe it's Manchin, maybe it's John Kasich, someone like that uh, with enough pedigree to be taken seriously that will give uh, Biden and Trump the run for the money. Because I I don't think our country is going to be well served by either one of those winning this next election. Uh, Some folks think that might be a lane for uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. How, How do you handicap his prospects as an independent candidate? Well, ballot access is going to be huge for him. She's going to have to cozy up to the to the libertarians or some other party, or the uh, or convince the the no label party that is out doing the petitioning right now to get on the ballot to have even a ghost of a chance. So his biggest problem, whether you like Robert Kennedy or not, he obviously he has the name. Uh, you know, no no one has to sit there and spend a lot of money of, of advertising that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running for office, but he still has all the political hurdles that any third-party candidate would have one is getting on the ballot. Any chance you'd accept the uh, vice presidential nomination if he were to offer it to you? There's not too many independents that have experience in the U.S. Senate. Well, you're throwing a new one at me now. You know, I'm 72 now, and I, I should probably practice what, uh, what what I preach. Yeah, you'd be the youngest guy running, I think. <laughs> there's a time and a place for everything, and I think my time has passed, and I'd rather help somebody else do that. I'm sure Robert F. Kennedy has other friends 
uh, that can help them as much as me. But I would, I would be honored if I was ever asked. I, I, you mentioned uh, no labels. Obviously, there's been some talk of uh, maybe Larry Hogan, maybe John Huntsman, maybe Joe Manchin. A lot of folks are viewing no labels because they haven't disclosed their donors as some sort of secret plot to get Trump elected by siphoning off votes from Biden. You've got a lot of experience in the independent political arena. How do you view no labels? Is this a secret right-wing plot to get Trump elected, or do you think this is a serious uh, opportunity to give voters a third third centrist choice? I think it's a a legitimate effort uh, for people to know the game of how you how you actually run for office in this country, a chance if they can recruit the right candidates to actually win it. I mean, I, I've been through the parole area where parole wasn't given much of a chance. He ended up getting like 24% of the vote. I went through the Ventura where everyone said that we don't have a chance. I don't think this is a, a Republican uh, plot to, to get uh, uh, enough other than a, a people in there to, to siphon votes away from Biden. I don't think that that's smart. I don't think they're going to enough rich people that will throw away their money uh, on a whim like that. I, I don't buy it. Last question, Senator. Um, speaking of Joe Manchin, he was on Fox News Sunday yesterday talking about Bob Menendez. Bob Menendez has been federally indicted. Uh, again, there's a lot to the indictment, but apparently he was doing favors for donors. He was uh, accepting improper gifts to take certain actions. Joe Manchin, who serves as a Senate Democrat alongside Menendez in the Democratic Conference, was on Fox News and said this. Bob, we all know Bob. I've served with Bob for quite some time, and he's very effective. He's very, he's, he's a very strong person. And he spoke to the caucus the other day, and that was just unbelievable, the strength it took to go up there in front of your colleagues and say, let me tell you something. I've seen every one of you, every one of you, speak eloquently about the rule of law mm-hmm. and how we're so different than any other place in the world. All I'm asking for is to be treated the same. Nothing more, nothing less. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Let me defend myself. And that's all he asked for. And I can't disagree with that. And, uh, Senator, it does seem like a lot of Democrats, aside from Joe Manchin, are trying to give Bob Menendez the bum's rush here, not waiting for any sort of a guilty verdict, but getting him out of office now. Have you view, how do you view that situation? Oh, I think I think Manchin is right. I mean, they 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 give they give Minnesota's uh, comedic former senator the early heave ho, and I think he should have stayed in office and he shouldn't have resigned when he was forced out because of uh, just uh, pretending, you know, to to to, to, uh, to yeah the to, sexual the Me Too stuff, yeah. Yeah, that stuff. So no, I think Manchin has uh, or, uh, he has every right. To, to fight this in court and see whether or not he's guilty or not. I mean, that's what our whole legal system is about, is that people are con- are, are considered innocent until they prove him guilty. And he hasn't been proved. No, he hasn't proved he's done anything yet. I don't like what he supposedly may have done. I think that's, uh, you know, that's, we can't have politicians that do that, but it hasn't been proven yet. And so until the uh, jury says he's guilty, yep. I think he uh, has every right to stay where he's at. Ladies and gentlemen, something tells me this is a senator that never received gold bars as a gift from a campaign <laughs> donor while he was in office. Waited till he was out of office at the very least. Senator Dean Barkley, uh, thanks. It's always a treat to talk with you.
Thank you. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.